Hi, welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller, and I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. And it just crossed my mind, am I supposed to be saying I'm your hostess? I don't know. Maybe I am. When I worked at Shoney's, I was the hostess with the mostest. So (laughs) I think maybe I'm supposed to say I'm your hostess. That doesn't sound right. Anyway, okay. So uh, the topic of the day is communication and relationships and how they build resilience. Um, So in recovery, one thing that it seems like I haven't really heard anybody talk about yet, but it has come to light for me today is how important it is to know how to communicate when you're in recovery. We need to be able to communicate in order to tell people what is happening, not only physically, but uh, how we're feeling emotionally as well. And the topic came up this morning because in my sobriety meeting, uh, the topic was telephone therapy. And in sobriety, it's a we make a big deal out of practicing picking up the phone, calling your sponsor every day so that when so we kind of build that muscle memory so that when the time may come that you have a craving for alcohol, then it's a natural reaction to pick up the phone and call your sponsor or call anybody in the fellowship. Um, So this is something that we encourage in the program and something that I've really started to, again, draw a parallel to uh, stroke recovery because I have found that some of my misery that I've been experiencing over the past uh, seven weeks or so. I think we're I think we're going on the eighth week. My timing could be totally messed up, but I think that it's been two months. And over the first two months, I I've had a lot of people reaching out to me, but I wasn't being as open to receiving all of that. Um. I guess, support. I loved it. I loved the support, but I didn't know what to do with it. Maybe that's a better way to explain it. I didn't know what to do with it. And I've mentioned recently that I realized when somebody says to me, I wish there was something that I could do, I realized that there is something that you could do. You can call me, text me, and come visit me. That is medicine for my soul. Um, it, it gets my mental health uh, more upbeat. And as long as my mental health, health is taken care of, then the physical part of it, I, you know, I just have more resilience. I, have, I just have more patience to deal with and pursue my recovery physically. So being able to communicate how we're feeling, 
both physically and mentally, provides us with the best possible outcome. We can communicate to our friends and family so that they know how to support us, and we can communicate to our doctors and therapists so that they know how to support us. And they can, if we can articulate the best that we can articulate how we're feeling, they will be able to start pinpointing what it is they need to um, implement in order to help us recover faster. So communication is critical in any healing process. And I recognize that from the fact that we make such a big deal of, of it in sobriety and how recently I've really come to figure out how impactful it is when I communicate with other people. And originally when I started this podcast, it was because I was seeking other people like me. I wanted to find other people. (laughs) You know what I wanted? I wanted to find another woman in her late 40s who had a stroke, is a mother, you know, (laughs) who has vision impairment like I do, um, and, and all of this. And, um, well, although I, I did find, I have two contacts of, uh, women who had a stroke and, um, and I haven't been in touch with them as much as I should be. So let this be a mental note to reach out to both of them tomorrow. Um, what I found that this has given me the opportunity to have this feeling that I'm helping other people. So I'm not so focused inward and I'm, and, and I'm more focusing outward and trying to share my experience, strength, and hope to help the next person, whether they're in recovery, um, in alcohol, uh, from alcoholism or, a stroke or anything else, you know, um, recovery seems to be, uh, almost like this general concept. If you look at it from a very high level and, and I'm starting to really see the basic needs that need to be met and, um, and human interaction is one of them. And, and, It goes all the way back to when I was talking about the hierarchy of needs. Um, One of them was a feeling of community and love. And and this really speaks to that that part of the hierarchy of needs. One thing that I learned today uh, is that they did some research on kids who have been bullied versus kids who do not have one solid friend that they can really open themselves up to. And they have found that resilience declines more when a, a, when a young adult does not have a close friend to confide in 
versus if the young adult had been bullied, uh, but yet has uh, friends around to confide in. So it's interesting how much we, you know, as we get older, life starts getting in the way of our relationships. Um, In fact, I was talking to my daughter yesterday, and maybe it was the day before. I don't remember anymore. Um, She said that she, um, that life is getting in the way. I mean, to sum it up, that, you know, she graduated from college and now she's a full-time career woman and, and is, is starting to see that challenge of balancing your life and your career and and it's hard it is hard and it's something some people never figure it out my boyfriend and I were just talking about it the other day about trying to find work-life balance and I know when I am full-time working I definitely lean more into work than life and I enjoy it and I think that people that find a job that really fulfills them and they enjoy um, it that work-life balance I don't know that it is so disruptive you know there's just so many different personalities where People, some people's lives revolve around work, but work is fun. You know, um, their friends are work friends, and and it's just there isn't a lot of stress in their life. And I don't know that that's a negative thing. There are some people that hate work. They hate their jobs. They hate the people that they work with, but yet uh, they are just so sucked into work that there's no work-life balance. There's nothing going on outside of, outside of work in their lives that's fulfilling. And that is where it's not healthy. So um, anyway, as we get older, life pulls us away from each other. It doesn't have to be that way. One thing that we do in sobriety... Um, as I said, picking up the phone and calling our sponsor. But what the way that we try to manage that is introduce that idea of setting a target for yourself. Either, you know, I'm going to call my sponsor every single day. Some people need that in the beginning of sobriety to make sure that they are, you know, out of self and they're, you know, really work in the program every day and don't take a minute away from it because they just need to be wrapped in it constantly in order to to diminish the craving. But there are some people that say, I'm going to call my sponsor twice a week, three times a week. Um, I'm not great at calling my sponsor. I call her... (laughs) Yikes. It's probably once a month. If I'm really being honest, it's probably once a month. But I do text her almost every day. And I text her with what uh, with my gratefuls, three things I'm grateful for. 
in my life. And so for me, it works. Um, I also go to my sobriety meeting every single morning. So I'm interacting with my fellowship every single day, even though I may not be calling my sponsor every day. And, um, and I'm not encouraging that for any, anybody who's early in sobriety. But picking up the phone for me has always been difficult. Um, I think it's because when I pick up the phone and call somebody, I am used to calling somebody from back in the day when we had landlines and we had cords and I was talking to my friends and the cord would wrap all around the house, you know. Um, I'm calling somebody because I have something to say, um, something to tell them. And I don't really find it very enjoyable. It's uncomfortable, I think, to call somebody, but I don't have anything to say. To call somebody and be like, hey, um... I was just calling to see how you're doing, just checking in. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of, it makes me feel vulnerable. And I'm just hoping that they have something to say. Because if they don't, I feel kind of silly. And so, um, but here's the thing, you got to do it anyway. You got to do it anyway. Even if you're feeling like, you know, uncomfortable, you have to do it anyway. And that's where recovery, there's that willingness that comes in. So um, let me tell you a story about picking up the phone and how it worked for me. So when I was, I think I was a about a year, I, I might have been maybe like eight to 10 months sober, something like that. I was driving home from work over the mount, the mountain of West Virginia. So I was driving home on Route 9, and Route 9 has this gas station at the top of it. And that was a location where I would buy wine because I didn't know anybody there. So if I were to... Um, want to relapse, I would stop there. And so I was driving home. I was feeling icky. I was feeling um, stressed. I was feeling like I might want to drink. Drinking seems like a solution right now. That's kind of what was going through my head. I was romanticizing the drink. And so I thought, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to pick up the phone. So I started calling. Uh, I called one person and it went to voicemail. So then I called this another person. Uh, and these are all people in, in my sobriety fellowship and it went to voicemail. And I believe I called about five people and nobody answered the phone. And in all honesty, nobody, nobody ever called me back either. I was so frustrated. I was kind of pissed and I was frustrated and I was thinking, this is why 
this, uh, you know, my network isn't working for me right now because nobody answers the phone. Nobody calls me back. Like I'm thinking about drinking and nobody is calling me back or answering the phone. Like I don't have a strong sobriety network, but you know what? I passed that gas station and drove home and never got a drink. And so in that situation, it wasn't about somebody picking up the phone and talking to me. It was taking action. So sometimes just that, that action of reaching out to another person is all you need, even if you don't even realize it, what you're doing. But what you're doing is you're getting out of self and focusing outward instead of inward just by picking up the phone. They don't even have to answer. Um, I didn't realize that until probably several years later that, hey, you know what? I didn't drink that day. (laughs) Some people learn slower than (laughs) others. Um, So communication and recovery can open the door to difficult conversations. Um, It can also open the door to getting your answers to any of your concerns, you know, from your doctors and therapists. And um, it allows you to get the help that you need and helps you get through challenges, challenges. And so I wanted to talk just ever so briefly about some tips for being better at communicating. And number one, and this is driven home uh, so much in sobriety, is honesty. And it's not necessarily honesty with other people. Of course, that's important. But number one is being honest with yourself. And When I was drinking, I was lying to myself. I was absolutely lying to myself about everything, you know, everything. And so how was I able to communicate to other people if I wasn't even being honest with myself about what my motives were in any situation, um, what my motives were in my relationships with other people? So honesty, um, Some other ways that we can get better at communicating is, um, and this is specifically in recovery, whether it's from the stroke or it's uh, sobriety, think before you speak. And what I'm thinking about when I say this is when you're in recovery, you are really getting depleted of energy, patience, and at the same time that you're being depleted of this because you're working so hard at trying to recover, your loved ones and caregivers are also being depleted of this. And so it's important to recognize that when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're sad, that this takes a big toll on your caregivers as well. And I know it may seem 
when I say that, it may seem like, well, screw, <laughs> screw them. They don't have to, they're not recovering. Like they're not in pain. They're not, you know, but it's the relationship between a patient and a caregiver is so much stronger if the patient is able to understand that the the person caring for them none of it is their fault why that patient is is in the situation that they are and it is exhausting to care for another person who is ill. Um, it's absolutely exhausting. And I think that even if the patient, you know, there's good patients, there's difficult patients, I'm sure. Um, I'm thinking of my grandfather right now because when he was um, towards the end of his life, he had some caregivers that were with him 24-7, and I used to go visit him every Wednesday for lunch, and I would go over there, and that he was just so sweet. <laughs> he was so sweet and adorable, and was just so, he never complained about anything to these women that were taking care of him. You know, he was at the point where he was being fed water, you know, how they thicken up the water um, so that they can better swallow it. You know, he was at that point where he wasn't able to do a lot anymore. And he was just so kind and sweet. And so when I'm thinking about this, think before you speak, 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 and, um, and making sure that you nurture that relationship, that patient caregiver relationship. I'm thinking of my of my grandpa. So uh, next, consider therapy. Um, there's a lot that we're holding on to, so much that I have a a podcast episode about it every day. There's so much going on. Um, I think in in somebody's uh, feelings, thoughts, emotions, all that stuff, um, in recovery. And it's important to, uh, consider therapy and, and not necessarily just lean on your friends and family, but, um, sometimes a professional is what you need. Speak up. Don't stuff your feelings. We don't want them to go down in your dark place. Um, have, again, empathy for others, empathy for your caregivers. And um, it's important to maintain communication so that it's easier to communicate when things get tough. And that goes back to the train yourself to pick up the phone. Try to think of some sort of reasonable, maintainable um, cadence to pick up the phone and call some, you know, call somebody. You don't have to call the same person every day. Call somebody, you know, call somebody once a day and just talk. Um, so I have found this to be really helpful. And even though I may have not picked up the phone, um, on the regular throughout my sobriety, I found other ways to make sure that I was communicating with people on the regular. And that mostly is going to meetings. And more so now that 
Um, I'm on Zoom. I go every single day. So um, interacting with my fellow travelers is is really healing for me. And um, so much that I learned how to, I've talked about, use the accessibility feature on my phone so that I can continue to stay in contact, so that I can text and call people, and so that I can get on Zoom, um, and so that I can do this podcast. I, uh, it's, it's just willingness. I figured out a way. You know, the first thing I did, I was two days after making the decision that I had to walk away from work temporarily, I reached out to my brother and said, can you create a podcast account for me? Because I knew immediately I had got to find a way to get this stuff out of me and not hold on to it. And so I have chosen, um, you know, a, a unique way, I think, of communicating with a wider audience. Um, but I also have been blessed to have some really supportive people in my life that have been calling and texting me every day. You know who you are. And, um, and I feel it and I notice it. I'm, you know, we may not say it, but, but I know, I know what you're doing and I appreciate it. Um, so picking up the phone is like level one. Asking for help is like level two. So um, I know that that's not easy to ask for help, but I uh, heard something interesting this morning in my sobriety meeting, and that was that um, a, a, a gentleman said, even if you're early in sobriety and you're, you've been told to pick up the phone to call your sponsor, think of it from this perspective. Instead of saying, I'm picking up the phone to tell my sponsor that I'm okay, but I don't really know what to say. Instead, think of it the other way. I'm picking up the phone to check on my sponsor. Because no matter how long somebody has been in sobriety, they are just as far away from a drink as you are because it's recovery is daily. Um, so we're affected by each other, us humans, and I think that we forget about that. I think on a day-to-day -day basis, we interact with each other, we get pissed at each other, we love each other, but really stepping back and looking at how we are able to respond to others. If we watch another person coping with a crisis, we learn from them. We learn how that person adapts to a crisis, how they what resilience looks like in their life and and we can provide that same uh, demonstration to other people and by helping other people 
we can feel more connected and comp competent. So when I think of that, I think about how much this podcast has just helped me feel more competent, feel like, you know what, I, I've done this recovery thing before, I have something to share. And the more that I'm able to talk about it, all of these little topics, the more I'm able to talk about it, the more competent I feel. Because when I, when I had to step away from work, I, I felt like, what is my purpose? You know, I was just talking to my friend today. I'm like, I, I said, yeah, I just woke up from my, my nap. And she was like, I can't believe you're doing the same thing every day. And I said, well, I have to have some kind of schedule or I'm going to end up like walking aimlessly around my house, which I was doing that for a while before I had that episode where I needed to create my own schedule. And so by, by doing these things and sharing about it, I feel like I have a purpose. So even small, simple gestures of reaching out to people, calling somebody and being like, hey, how's work going? Most often, if you know what's going on in the other people's uh, lives, if you are able to remove yourself from being so focused on your own recovery and think for a minute about somebody in your life who may have a challenge, big or small, it doesn't have to be um, equatable to or comparable, whatever the word is, to what you're going through. Um, but just anything, you know, think of one person around you that has a challenge or has something fantastic that has happened to them. Call them and say, Hey, how's it going? You know, um, and just let them talk. That is the easiest way to be of service to others is to just pick up the phone and let somebody talk to you. Because most likely, you know, they are dealing with the same thing. And maybe they don't know how to get out of self. So they'll learn from you. You know, we're all learning from each other. So when I can listen to other people, my concerns are less overwhelming. And I start feeling a little more optimistic. Um helping somebody else helps me. It, it helps me face my own challenges with greater confidence. I can get off the phone with somebody that I just listened to and gave a word of encouragement. And when I get off the phone, it's magical. I don't know. It's magical. I feel a little more confident. Um, so I was looking up what are some of the qualities of resilient people. And this is what I learned. Resilient people are more aware, have more self-control. They are problem-solving people. And they provide social, social support. 
So all of these things, um, you know, as I was diving into the qualities of resilient people, I really was feeling that these qualities aren't something that we develop in, in a silo, in a bubble. We develop these things by learning from other people, by observing. And, and like I said, we may not even recognize it. So resilient people understand that life is full of challenges. And they have the, here's the word, willingness to bend with challenges. And resilient people get stronger through difficulties. When I was drinking, every difficulty that I faced made me weaker, made me more discouraged, made me more anxious, depressed, fearful. When I was drinking, I was not resilient. I was dying. And today, after I've put down the drink and I've practiced all of these principles, um, I've developed resilience. And I only realized that by reading these, these characteristics of resilient people. So here are the five basic characteristics of resilient people that I found. So number one, and some of these I just mentioned, they're, they have uh, problem-solving skills. So I'm going to think about how these five basic characteristics are ones that we learn from each other as a society of human beings. Problem-solving skills. It makes me think of, personally, it makes me think of when I was in college and I was a math major and my last year of uh, when we were, uh, when I was taking Calculus 4 and Calculus 5, so the last two semesters of being a math major, all of our homework and tests were completed in a group. We were not dependent on ourselves to problem solve. And what that taught me was that um, I don't have to figure anything out on, on my own. It, it was really quite brilliant, I think, to have been introduced to that concept early on in my life because I learned that I don't have to figure it out on my own. I don't have to figure anything out on my own. I get to um, I get to lean on the people around me. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't put forth the energy to try to figure things out to a certain extent. Um, there's there's a lady. I was just talking about um, this this charming lady that I used to work with, and. If you were to go up to her and ask a question, if you did not know what you were talking about, if you did not know how to phrase your question so that it made sense, she would light you up. 
because that meant that they didn't even bother to put forth the own their own energy to try to understand what they're even asking. You know, there's a certain amount that you have to give to a conversation in order to you have to give to a pro, to a, a group of people trying to solve a problem. So anyway, side note. Number two, basic characteristic of resilient people is a survivor mentality. And again, when I think of survival, when I think of survival, I think of my sobriety because that is the closest I've ever been to um, to my life being over. Um, I hate to say that this knowing that there are my loved ones listen to this, but um, because it's the hard truth, you know, it really is the hard truth. And um, that survivor mentality that I've developed is not something I developed on my own. I learned it from my fellowship. I listened and I learned what they were telling me every time I went into the meetings and every time I met, met with my, uh, my sponsor and going to my IOP and going to therapy, this was learned, this survivor mentality, because when I was drinking, remember, I looked in the mirror and I said, you're already dead because there was no life left. I had given up. So number three, basic characteristic of resilient people, emotional regulation. Again, I didn't learn this on my own. I did not learn on my own that feelings are a choice. I get to choose what response I'm going to have to other people, to uh, my environment. Four, self-compassion. When I... You know, this is interesting. I'm thinking some of these episodes, um, actually all of them, there are times that I'm really just thinking while while I'm talking. Um, I take a lot of notes before the episode to guide my conversation. But, um, but while I do that, there are things that pop into my head. And what just popped into my head is... Um, Self-compassion is something that um, I was encouraged to have by people who love me. People who reminded me that, you know, if your loved one was going through the same thing, what would you say to them? How would you treat them? And I'm reminded of that by people who love me, that I need to love myself. And then the last one is sense of control. So resilient people have a sense of control. Now, what I was thinking of when I got to this part was, the serenity prayer, um, the serenity to 
accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. A sense of control is that last part, the wisdom to know what I have control over and what I don't. Knowing that I have the power to make choices that impact my future. Knowing that I I can stay away from having this tunnel vision where I'm just focused on, um, on what's wrong with me, you know, having that tunnel vision, um, goes, goes away and I'm more open to seeking joy, seeking opportunities for how I can get better in recovery. And I can't do that in a silo. Like I can't do that in a bubble by myself. I need other people. I need other people to gain new perspectives um, in order to solve problems, in order to not resign myself to a life, a life of pain, you know, a life of head pain and, and, um, and neurological vision impairment. I mean, I may have a lifetime of dealing with complications, but by talking to other people, I continue to gain new perspectives on how I can keep fighting for myself. And I need other people so that I can vent, so that I can learn how to learn and practice how to resp- how to pause so that I respond in, in conversations instead of reacting. I need other people so I can remind myself to treat myself the way that I would like to, that treat myself the way that I would treat other people and be kind and gentle with myself. And I need other people for the perspective of um, giving me that sense of control, that I have control of my own destiny. And resilience, I mean, I'm a living example. I am an absolute living example that resilience can be learned. It is not something that you're, you're just, you either have it or you don't. Um, it's just not true. Um, but I truly believe that you have to have the willingness to, to reach out to other people and, and together we learn from each other. And and as a group, we become more resilient as a fellowship. So that's what I have. Thank you so much for listening. It was a beautiful evening to speak with you. Um, so anyway, have a great one and, um, please share these uh episodes if you if you know anyone who might enjoy them um please do share please uh uh click follow and i'll talk to you tomorrow